welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Today on the show, I'm talking to Thomas Inivaldsen. Thomas is a well-known Danish magic player and has enjoyed several strong tournament finishes over the years. In 2012, he won Grand Prix Strasbourg using the deck that he is most well-known for, Death and Taxes. In 2014, he took first place in the Magic World Cup as part of the Danish national team. Most recently, in 2016, he finished third in Grand Prix Prague with Death and Taxes yet again, proving that a mono-white deck can be amazingly consistent in the Legacy format. We talk about growing up in Denmark, playing in his first tournaments, and leveling up as a player along the way. Thomas is a super easygoing individual and was quite honest with his answers, so we went deep into some of his thoughts around magic goals, memorable moments, and his ongoing relationship with the game. We also talk about his friendship with Michael Bondi, who is another magic player that he has constantly been uh, friends with over the years and has constantly challenged him. So there's a wide range of topics that we went into, and I hope you can enjoy this conversation that I had with Thomas Inibaldson. Hey Thomas, how's it going? Good, thank you. Uh, so where are you located right now? Uh, I am in a city called Fredericksburg, uh, just outside Copenhagen in Denmark. Oh, excellent. So uh, how has your week been? How's it, how's it been going for you? Um, it has been a pretty tough week. I've been at work most of my awake hours, so I'm happy to have a weekend now. So what kind of work do you do? Uh, I work at a law firm as an associate, and we have a big transaction this week, so we had to prepare a lot of documents and investigate a lot of stuff. Ah, okay. So I'm glad that you could make the time to do this. I'll get back to your, <laughs> yeah, sure, your work sure. stuff a little bit later, but I just <laughs> wanted to kind of start from the beginning. Thomas, I wanted to understand, like, where, what's your background? Where did you grow up? Um, what city, what country, what town, that kind of thing. If you could just start from the beginning, that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, I grew up in a town called Klostrup, uh, like 12, 15 kilometers outside Copenhagen in Denmark. Um, and I spent my first 21 years, I think, uh, there with uh, my parents and my uh, two brothers, two older brothers. Um, yeah, and uh, that was great. Uh, what did your parents do or what do they do? Uh, my mom works in some kind of communication job that she's had in multiple different companies over the years. Uh, and my dad used to run his own uh, advertising agency um, until he retired. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And you're, you said you were the youngest of three yeah. siblings? I have uh, two uh, older brothers. Peter is two years older than me and Anas is four years older than me. 
Okay, so what was it like growing up? Yeah, what was it like growing up in in your household? I mean, what what did you guys um, like to do? It was pretty great. We uh, we had a uh, garden where we could play uh, football or soccer, depending on where you're from. Uh, the one where you kick the ball. And we had two goals. My dad got us two uh, soccer goals when we were pretty young. And then we just spent most of our free time after school and after practice or other uh, scheduled activities. We just played with each other uh, outside. And uh, that was whenever <laughs> that was whenever uh, it wasn't raining or anything. But after when it, whenever it rained, we went inside and played computers instead. Ah, uh, so how do you remember how young you were when you started kicking a football? Uh, I I assume I was three or four years old. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I've been doing it ever since. Although I I would say that the intensity has has uh, it's not it has diminished over the years. I'm not playing every day anymore as I used to do back when I was young. Okay, so when you guys played, were you guys fairly competitive uh, when you played? Ah, uh, yeah, we were very very competitive. Actually, uh, when I was playing for my team, uh, whatever whichever teams I was playing on. Um, during those years, I didn't much care for winning or losing those games. Uh, but whenever we played, uh, me and my dad usually against my two brothers, that was the most important thing of all, winning those games. And I always felt like my dad let me down because he was better than all, all of us, but he just he didn't really – he wanted to make it fair, so he didn't do, do his best, and that meant that sometimes we lost. Oh, I see. But you always wanted to do your best. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. And I was, of course, very frustrated by the fact that I was – the youngest and the smallest and the least skillful and the least experienced of us so I really had to do my utmost to make sure that we at least got some points on the board yeah did you end up developing any techniques for because you were probably the the smallest at the time so did you have any techniques or any any go-to strategies to to uh to increase your chances of winning uh I mean I think I played a little rougher than they did because I I knew that there was like there was no limit to like how sort of rough I could play because they wouldn't be pushed around as easily. So I just kind of used all all means possible to get the ball and to get score. Right, right. That's always a good a good way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, and you said that when you guys were not playing football, you were indoors playing computer computers or computer games, right? Can you describe yep. what you guys were doing there? Uh, well, we started off with one computer, uh, and we each had like a 30-minute time slot to play on it. And uh, we played, you know, the regular games of the 90s, like Diablo and Command and & Conquer and Age of Empires and those great old games. Um, and then when we got a bit older, uh, the internet was more or less born, or at least the sort of battle net side of things and where you could play online against other people, and that started to take off. Did you guys play? It sounds like you guys were sharing a computer. So in the beginning, yep. without internet, were you just playing single player, or did you play against each other somehow? Uh yeah, we just played a uh, single player, and then the other two would you would usually just like crowd around the screen and tell whoever was playing like do this, do that, or sometimes assist them with the various actions if it required both a mouse and a keyboard and stuff like that. So we tried to be. Uh, we tried to be uh, cooperative about it. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, you guys were a team. Awesome. Yeah, I could, you could say that. Yeah. So, I, I'm trying to understand. So you guys were playing games together, and it sounds like you were competitive from quite a young age, at least with your family, right? Yeah, very competitive. Also in board games and everything we did, uh, 
it only ma- it, it only ever mattered when I was playing with my family because I felt like I, that those were the people uh, I kind of wanted to measure up against, and uh, I never really had that feeling in in school or in, in soccer practice or in the games I played uh, elsewhere. It was that was kind of the the place that I wanted to win. That was at home. So, what was it like going to school where you grew up? I mean, can you describe sort of your your younger years uh, going to school? Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty easy. I went to the same school that both my brothers went to, um, and uh, but only for the first three grades. So for those, I kind of already had some had some friends um, when I started, and I just I had a pretty cool uh, set of classmates. I think we were like twenty four or something that, that uh, all like follow each other all the way up to ninth grade. Uh, which is the last grade in, in Danish uh, schools, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty fun. I uh, I didn't mind it too much. I enjoyed learning stuff and hanging out with people. Do you remember if you had a favorite teacher or favorite subject at school? Uh, yeah, I think my favorite subject was just uh, sports or PA or whatever you call it. Um, that was always the thing I was looking the most forward to. And I I mean I I liked math and I liked uh, languages. I I didn't really mind anything, but Danish, which yeah, I didn't like the, the class Danish where you had to you know learn how to analyze stuff and learn about all the great uh, novellas that's been written over the years in Denmark. I see, I see. So anything but Danish, I enjoyed. <laughs> awesome. So, when did you first get in contact with Magic the Gathering? Um, after ninth grade, I went to it's called it's sort of like a boarding school. Um, it's pretty tradi- traditional Denmark for people to go uh, on these after ninth grade before they go to high school. Um, so you take one year of extra classes, which uh, is not really required, uh, but the, it's just something you can do. And it was an, a sports uh, boarding school. Um, so I went there and uh, we played a lot of sports again. And then uh, one day, uh, this guy uh, called William, uh, he just... Um, said that he wanted to show me something because um, I don't know I think he just talked about it at one point and then I asked him like uh, oh I, I, I think I walked past a store or something where they had that and I've heard about it but I never actually experienced it myself and then I, I asked him if he wanted to teach me and then he taught me and then I sort of just um, yeah I just enjoyed it from the first game and, and I sort of felt, felt like I got it from the beginning and and I yeah so Right. After that, we that's pretty much all we did in every uh, every evening of uh, when we, when we were at the school. We were just playing games whenever we had time off. Was that pretty common for you? I mean, in terms of just asking somebody to teach you a game or 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 get you introduced to something? Uh, yeah, I, I I've always been pretty uh, excited to learn new things, and uh, and I yeah, I guess also partly because I've. I feel like I guess it's just easier to interact with people if you have something to do or some activity that you can sort of engage yourself with while you you interact with people. So yeah, that's always absolutely. helpful. Uh, so you, you he taught you the game, and do yeah. you remember uh, what were some of the earliest cards or decks that you? Yeah, used? it was uh, it was around two thousand four. So I think he had an affinity deck uh, from that standard season where everyone hated affinity. Uh, it was just before Darksteel was released, I think. Uh, so it was before the Ravagers and all that. Uh, but there was an Affinity deck, and then there was this Onslaught Beast deck, I think there was. Um, <laughs> and the Affinity, Affinity deck was just heavily favored, but uh, we kept jamming the, the two decks against each other anyway. 
So it sounds like you guys, or you started playing with semi-competitive decks, right? Like it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't call. It, yeah, I would call them semi-competitive. They, they weren't. I don't think they had like. Uh, he had looked at any internet lists or anything. I think he just sort of like used the mechanics of the sets, like. Beast, you know, it's pretty simple that a lot of cards says these beasts, beasts are good together, and you use these cards, and then you have a, a theme deck, and the same with Affinity. I think it was just pretty much theme decks that just luckily, you know, Affinity turned into a competitive deck. Got it, got it. So it was the natural themes of the block, and uh, yeah, that actually just turned out to be competitive after all. Okay, okay. Uh, and what can you describe? I'm just trying to understand. Uh, what was it specifically about Magic at first that drew you in? Um, good question. I don't. I. I've. Ne- I don't think I've ever tried. tried anything like that before. Uh, like that type of game. Um, so I. I don't think there was anything familiar about it, uh, or anything that I just thought like, wow, this part of the game or these cards are cool because I. I don't know really what it was, and I think at at, at first it was just uh, a way to spend time. Uh, it wasn't something like I was really excited about. Um, it was just yeah, it was just a fun game, and we didn't really have any other games to play. But I guess it was just for lack of a better alternative, we just played Magic and we just kept playing. And you know, it, the game sort of very easily developed once everyone has their own cards and try to tries to build their own things. I guess it was when. When we when we got our own cars and we started to like try to make up our own decks, that it that was the first thing that really excited me. Right. And how long did it take for you to get your own cards and your own decks? Um, I think uh, about a couple of months after we went into the nearest uh, city where they had a shop that sold sold magic cars, and we just bought a bunch of cards and we we spent all weekend one of the weekends at the boarding school just building and, and playing with each other and, and that was sort of when we started really <laughs> playing a lot right and how big was the play group that you guys had uh i mean the funny thing is that it started with i mean before, when we started it was just that guy william uh then he taught me and then i told i talked to another guy about it and and made william teach him that as well so we were three then there was one other guy and then we were four and then suddenly so we were playing and then people came over and asked about it and William suddenly just taught everyone how to play and I think we were like 25 out of maybe 50 guys in the end that, uh, that ended up playing every night well that's that's quite a number that's good yeah so it's, it kind of just developed really fast I, I don't, I'm not sure if everyone t- took equal pleasure in playing but it was just sort of like a thing that, that we did at that point and, uh, and so everyone wanted to, to get along and, uh, and, and try it out what was pleasurable for you at the time? Was it winning, or was it just the socializing aspect or combination? Um, I think it was winning because, uh, I mean, at that point, I was like, we were all really inferior to to William, the guy who had played for a long time, uh, and but we were also sort of we started on equal grounds. The rest of us, we were three or four who were kind of serious about it, or at least you know played most of the time, and so we kind of tried to one up each other every time we. Uh, we played and so so it was mostly just between the other three guys that just learned it and then trying to get to that level that that William was at where we sort of more or less got the game right that's important to have someone who's yeah I remember I remember we were so puzzled by the by the onslaught fetch lands uh, why anyone would ever want to use those (laughs) Uh, and I just remember that I didn't just didn't understand that Uh, I guess because like losing life is like the worst thing that can possibly happen to you when you start off playing magic 
Um, so yeah, I just remember that when we when we had those uh, when we opened some of those onslaught booster packs, we got one of those and we're like, damn it, not again. These <laughs> lands we don't understand. <laughs> right. So what was that the major thing that you didn't understand at first when you were playing Magic was the the significance of life loss, or was it was there other were there other things that you felt like you didn't quite understand at the beginning or yeah I, I mean look both like the concept of card advantage and the concept of uh, it's sort of a, I don't know how to describe it what some people I guess describe as tempo or the way that cards in your hand doesn't matter if they're not on, in play and, and cards in play doesn't matter if they don't do anything the way that those things kind of how you can isolate different uh, scenarios in the game to make sure that it's the most beneficial to you uh, so I guess it's virtual card advantage and actual card advantage. Those two things we just never thought about at all. It was just like, if he has a guy, I have to kill him. And if I, if I have a spell that can kill something, I have to use it. That was kind of like how we started off. So I guess it took a while for me to, to grasp how to how to sort of obtain you know advantages in the game that was more strategic than just trading cards for cards and hoping that my creatures were bigger than his. Right, right. And so how did you start go from that to playing in competitive tournaments for the first time um i when we finished uh the one year at boarding school um i started high school and i remember reading about the pre-release for champions of kamigawa which was coming out in september that year um and we'd been one time into the this the major tournament store in Denmark uh, or in Copenhagen uh, once to just to buy some cards. And I looked up their website and saw if they had a tournament for that because the article I read on uh, it was on the Wizards homepage. They it it talked about the pre-release and going there and uh, and and showing off some preview cards and stuff like that. And I I just thought that sounded really fun, so I, I went to that pre-release of Champions Kamigawa, and that was that was my first tournament, I guess. Did you go with a whole bunch of friends together? Uh, no, we it, in the end it was just me and this other guy called Jacob. Who he, I think he was the the second guy that William taught playing. Uh, we sort of after a couple of months of playing, we we were sort of the ones who maybe. Um, we kind of rose up from the rest of them as I think we got the game more than more than most people did. So, so sure, we would you understood the tempo and maybe some of the concepts that yeah I, yeah something like that. And then we sort of decided we should try to go to this tournament and and see what it was like and and see what other people do with with playing magic. And we just discovered that it wasn't so terrifying after all. So tell me about that the the Kamigawa uh, pre-release. I mean yeah, uh, I remember that I had a um, I remember I just thought. This was, it was the exact same feeling I had when I was when I was at home with my family playing games. That this guy who also came to the tournament, what like he, he I was supposed to play against him, and he wanted to win just as much as I did. And so I guess that kind of feeling I I, I don't remember that it just sort of hit me, but I think that just from the first game I played, trying to beat someone who was also actively trying to beat me, um, I guess that was. Just, kind of a huge thrill uh, and just made me like as soon as the game was over I just went into my deck again and looked at what cards were good and bad and how I could play them differently next time and which if I had built the deck correctly or if I should maybe try different strategies or just remember that as soon as I played that first round I, I just immediately wanted to improve and play another round Were you nervous at first playing against other people who you not played against? 
Uh, no, not so much. I, I wasn't really so insecure when I was younger, so I, I didn't really have a problem with with uh, with that side of things. I thought it was just... Uh, at first, I didn't really think about that I that it was a good idea to get to make friends in the magic community to sort of, you know, learn more about it and learn more about being competitive, but it just, I don't know, it just, it just naturally came that I wasn't really, I was just pretty outgoing, so, so I guess I... I got to know people pretty easily. Right. So it sounds like you were you were drawn by the fact that these tournaments you now now everybody's going into these tournaments with the same motivation, which is to be competitive and to win, right? And that wasn't yeah. something you were getting before. Exactly. Okay. Now, t- walk me through how you went from that first tournament to how you started playing in more. I mean, does it did you just start naturally going to more and more of them or was there some kind of process uh yeah after that i think um that was kind of when we discovered uh that there was like this difference between limited decks and constructed decks uh we i mean we've been used to always playing constructed um but i i remember that playing limited was just such a such a more much more interesting feel because it was like constructed but only you got to play a new format every round almost or a new every tournament so it was kind of like it was just a much much more uh, interesting format, I thought. Uh, so we tried to find out. There was these drafts going every Tuesday, and then there was at, on Saturdays there was this uh, standard tournament. So so we went to the we went just to all the tournaments. Me and and Jacob, the the other guy, um, and we just yeah we just got <laughs> got beaten a lot, and then uh, eventually we learned, I guess. So so that was like for another three or four months until there was a. Betrayers of Kamigawa pre-release, which was in January, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that tournament, uh, I uh, I had this blue-black ninja deck, and I thought ninjas, I, they just, <laughs> first of all, of course, ninjas are cool, but I, I, I've never really been much into the flavor, but the thing that they did was just so advantageous to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had a deck full of all the good ninjas in in, in that set. Uh, so I just remember that. All right, I just cruised through the tournament. I went to the top eight, and then suddenly we had to draft uh, with these new cards and everything. And my first booster pack, I opened an Umasawa's Jite, uh, mm, which is a yes. good card. <laughs> but I also opened a ninja, and I guess there was a lot of text on the Jite. So I just I sort of read read it kind of fast, and I thought it was combat damage to players. And I just immediately just took the ninja and just passed it on. And then I played against the guy who just who actually read the card in the final, and he just completely smashed me with it. Uh, but that was uh, that was how I also learned how to read cards. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's probably the most broken card. One of the most. Yeah, but I think ever. a lot of people took a, made a double take when they saw that it just had to deal damage, not not uh, damage to players. Right, right. <laughs> At least a big surprise to me. <laughs> So after that was like kind of my, my my first sort of success in the game, and back then there was a lot of um, uh, action going on on the forums uh, related to the tournaments uh, in Denmark. So there was uh, if after the pre-release, people like wrote reports about how how they did and who they played against. And I remember reading some stuff where I was featured because they played against me, or they just yeah uh, the the guy who won the tournament also talked about the games we had and and stuff like that so I, and i remember just thinking that it was pretty cool to like be be a part of that be mentioned in in someone else's uh, report about something so i i remember that i just wanted to go to more tournaments and do better some more so i could see myself more in the report afterwards sure yeah i don't know yeah. How, 
yeah it, i mean that's kind of the realization that there's a there's a big thing out there like magic is this is this big thing that's beyond yeah, just for everyone play, else right? too yeah at least the people who do enjoy it and they, it's a big thing for everyone involved so yeah i guess that sort of also just made me want uh make me want to win even more and then i started going to ptqs and eventually won one right so what was the first ptq that you won uh the first ptq that i won was a it was a Ravnica the f- just I think it was just Ravnica sealed the set that came after uh, Champions of Kamigawa um, trying to think no actually I think it was all three sets um, it was for Pro Tour in Japan Kobe uh, in 2006 October of 2006 and it was the first and probably last dual slot Pro Tour qualifier in Denmark um, and there was only like 30 people showing up for it uh, and I remember meeting uh, a good friend uh, in the finals and we were just so happy that we both got to qualify right right I was just going to ask you that so what what is the magic scene like in Denmark I mean in terms of size and popularity um, I think throughout the years it's been steadily but slowly growing it's uh i'd say we have we used to have something like 50 people at ptqs uh and that turned into 125 and the same at the the wmcqs and the and like the major tournaments it was like it's usually been between 50 and 100 i guess at most times um and i guess maybe i would say that probably around 10 percent of those people I would consider would be able to win those tournaments, uh, like would have the skill to win those tournaments consistently, and the rest there's the rest just wasn't didn't take it seriously enough, I guess. So that I think there's been usually there's been a smaller group of of people always who's who's taken the game seriously and traveled to Grand Prix, but the largest group just sort of just played at home and and uh, made it to the tournaments, and hung out with each other, but didn't really try their hardest, I guess, to win. Right, they were more more the uh, casual or competitive casual. Yeah, sure, and I I think I would definitely I would consider the field in Denmark as pretty soft compared to the world. But I, the the people who are good are are very good, I think. But but there's the the majority of people just aren't uh, aren't serious enough about it, I guess. Okay, okay. So going back to the PTQ a little bit, do do you remember having any specific? preparation processes when you started playing competitively I mean and and winning that PTQ I mean it's only 30 people but I assume that there were also some tough guys along the way yeah yeah, there were only the tough guys going to this one Um, yeah I think after like maybe two or three months after I played the first pre-release I became friends with uh, some of the guys who were the best back then um a guy called Rasmus Sebast who played some pro tours and made a top eight of one and, and another guy Christopher Larson who's also doing really well now um, and so we started we were both we were all guys 16 years old something like that and just uh, you know what we're doing on the weekend alright we'll just meet at one of us one of our uh, parents house and just play magic all weekend uh, on magic online or in, in person so so we just played so much magic uh, that that was kind of the preparation. We never really set out with this goal to like, all right, the next PTQ, we're going to just play this format and only this format and talk about all the decks and all the sideboard plans. We just kind of just played a lot of magic online and just that was kind of how we prepared. 
So it was just really playing a lot and not sticking to a particular format necessarily. Yeah, there was no plan at all, just having fun and, and playing. And back then, the, uh, there, was a, there was always these uh, big tournaments on Magic Online every Saturday and Sunday that we used to play. And um, sort of, you know, we rooting for each other and talking about the plays with each other and uh, just, yeah, had a good time. Yeah, that's really important. That's really important. So, Thomas... Had you traveled a lot as a as a kid? Like when you were up to this point, had you traveled a lot outside of Denmark? Uh, yeah, we. My parents were very keen on traveling. Actually, so much that I prefer. I always sort of hated it when we were going away because I kind of wanted to be at home. I, I liked staying at home, but yeah, we've traveled a lot when we were when we were younger. So uh, I was very used to flying and uh, dealing with foreign uh, places and and stuff where you didn't know the language and you had different money and all that right the reason i ask is of course because you won the btq so i assume you had to go to japan right and so yeah exactly yeah was that the first time you went to japan yeah that was definitely the most exotic place i've been also i guess ever since but uh i think maybe i was my 16 year old self wasn't really ready for uh for japan and japanese food and japanese culture uh, I remember that we were we weren't very fond of of the food there. <laughs> what did you guys uh, eat? Like, what did you try to eat? Uh, I mean, we just the, the most of the restaurants had these pictures because you know we couldn't read anything, but they had pictures, and it was always noodles and some sort of soup, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a lot of fish, and we weren't really ever sure if if what we got was fish or meat, and it was just the insecurity about what we were eating, and also uh, the yeah, just the. The fact that most of it was just it wasn't just it just didn't look very uh tasty i guess <laughs> uh yeah. yeah so i didn't like a lot of foods when i was growing up so i i i kind of struggled with that as well so i just remember that japan from a a non-magic standpoint was sort of a letdown for me but i think right. that if i had to go back i would really enjoy it uh this time around so yeah, hoping that happens what day. was the tournament actually like i mean playing in that uh, the tournament was, was just the coolest thing I ever tried. I remember just every second of it. I mean, it it helped that I started off very strong. I started off it was limited time spiral, limited only. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty simple set to test. You just had to play a lot of drafts, and it was just drafts all the way around. It was, uh, and you had to go four two, I think, in the first two drafts to make it to day two. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you play. You you had a third draft where you played one round. And then you went, uh, uh, and then that was day one. And I remember starting off four one, I think. And I had this stupid strategy that wasn't even any good, but it, I just got really lucky in the first one. That I just didn't notice it. I was playing this black green uh, saproling deck uh, where I just got all the key cards in the first two drafts. So I just kept drafting that all the way through and just didn't get the key cards in the last three drafts and just completely bombed out. But I really learned a lot and I just really enjoyed playing every match against all these great players, especially the Japanese players, which uh, were like very polite and very, just very nice to play against. Did you have any interesting uh, language or other mix-ups when you were playing with Japanese players or uh, foreign players? Uh, no, not really. They they were very, I think they were very good at, at sort of like, we just kind of handle everything slowly and by using signs and and, you know, they had the basic words for like draw or upkeep or response or something like that. And uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I think everything went pretty smoothly except for the winning part. 
Right. And after this PT ended, what what was going on through your mind in terms of the the future, in terms of maybe your relationship with magic? I did. I I don't think I consciously thought consciously thought this, but I just I think that what I thought was I have to go back. I have to go back. I have to do better. Uh, and I think that I've never really had a dream. I until lately, I, I've never really had a dream of top eighting a pro tour or winning a pro tour. I've always just wanted to play on the pro tour. Right. Just because that feeling that you get at the pro tour is just unlike any other magic tournament and yeah if playing magic tournaments is the best playing the pro tour is the actual best so i guess i just always wanted to come back to the right. pro tour right and now your goals are a little bit higher than before uh they are a bit higher but the requirement to get back on the pro tour is still very very much a big part of my life since i am not actually on the pro tour so right uh, according to some <laughs> research i did on you before we had this interview You've done. You've been in thirteen pro tours. Is that right? That sounds about right. And I'm gonna guess uh, soon to be fourteen because of the uh, the. Yeah, the exactly. I'm going to Hawaii, thankfully. Okay. I mean, you, you you've been to more pro tours than an average person for sure. And are there things in particular that you've sort of picked up from playing in these high level events? Like, did it? Were there things, observations, or learnings that? that helped you become better somehow? Uh, I think, first of all, the the sort of distancing yourself from the from the tournament and focusing on the actual game has, I think the Pro Tour has helped me a lot with that. I don't get nervous in uh, top eights of other tournaments or in, in the GPs or in the later rounds of like playing for top eight and all these things. It just doesn't affect me anymore because I think I, because I've played so many really important games uh, on the Pro Tour that I so I, I've kind of become immune to that, and I think that's actually really important um, because it definitely affects you when you're tr- finally like within reach of whatever goal or dream you had of that tournament uh, to see it so close. So, and I think it affects your game if you're not uh, able to to sort of distance yourself from that. So that was one thing I learned, and I guess I think maybe the most important thing is just that I got a huge network of friends that I enjoy hanging out with and I enjoy seeing at tournaments and I enjoy giving advice to and taking advice from, even if sometimes they're super specific to one metagame choice of deck or card that you put in your deck and uh, it's not really beneficial to any greater understanding of the game, but just always having someone to talk to about magic, someone that you... Uh, trust has an opinion that you need to sort of pay attention to because they're also really good at magic and then having someone to bounce ideas off of that's I think that's probably the most important thing that I've gotten out of playing 13 Pro Tours got it it's definitely not the money anyway (laughs) right I I think magic's not a great game for for financial reasons but it sounds like there are other things that that if you win as little as I do <laughs> no, I I think you're being <laughs> humble, but uh, uh, I, I think you're winning I, yeah. more than the average person. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, right. So I mean, your resume, of course, to me as a as someone who's really a fan of the legacy format, is incredibly impressive. You've won the 2012 Grand Prix Strasbourg, and you just top aided the GP Prague, and you've also done really well. I mean, playing in the Magic World Cup. And you've you've have thirteen soon to be fourteen pro tours. If you were looking back at all that, was would you can you pick out a particularly 
a favorite competitive moment for you when you're playing in all these kind of events? Um, I think I mostly remember the heartbreaks of of playing. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I I mean I, I don't remember any particular. F- I think that if I just had to like sort of be reasonable about reasonable about it, I would definitely say that top eighting with my friend Michael in in 2012, uh, the Grand Prix. That feeling was in uh, really really great because it meant that we. We finally got to play on the Pro Tour together, which is which is what we really wanted. I don't think we even cared that much about the Grand Prix. I mean, I've always seen Grand Prix as qualifiers for the Pro Tour rather than the individual tournaments to win. Um, but but I that would probably be my favorite moment. But I I never really f- I don't really feel so much happiness as I feel sadness about losing. I guess um, so. It I I mostly remember the the. The heartbreaks. What was a really heartbreaking moment for you? Like, was it just one of these things where you didn't make it into a particular top eight, or? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, there was um, the first Grand Prix in uh in Belgium, oh, not the first one, but the f- the first Legacy Grand Prix I played um, it was in in Belgium um in 2011 probably um, where, also, where I was also playing Death and Taxes I was playing for top 8 in the last round um, and I played against Elves uh, and I remember losing the first game and this sickening feeling of the fact that not only had, had I, did I have to win uh, my game 2 against my worst matchup I also had to win a game on, on the draw and I remember sideboarding uh, and mulliganing to 5 in that game and I was just so <laughs> so sad that I didn't get to play in the top eight because I thought that I really, this was really my moment to sort of show show what I could do, and I I, I was very unsure that it would ever come back. Uh, so I guess it was sort of like almost a premeditated loss that I felt at that point. Um, I think that was one of the the worst ones, and then then I also had a recent one uh, at Pro Tour Washington. I think uh, it was now they call them Pro it was Pro Tour Fate Reforge is what they call it now. Um, I was playing in the last round um, of the tournament for I was playing for what what was the same as three Pro Tour qualifications the next three Pro Tours if I win that game mm-hmm. um, and I'm playing against Infects and I I make a mistake in game one where I know his hand and he t- draws a card that he needs to kill me mm-hmm. uh, where I did need to die to that and then in game two I uh, I I get. I play played. I think the correct way, but but again, he draws a card that kills me that spot, and I just remember this feeling of being like sort of punched in the stomach almost. I just sort of lost my uh, my ability to breathe because it was just so much, so much, so many good things just got dropped in the ground for me at that point. Uh, so I remember those two moments very vividly. But actually, now that I'm talking, I remember back to the world. Uh, back then, it was just called Worlds in Rome in 2008. Um, where I went with my grandmother and my two brothers and they were watching me play my last round uh, in the tournament. I was playing for top 50, I think, which was back then it was good for maybe 500 or $600. But on top of that, we got $1,000 for being on the team, uh, on the Danish team. Um, and I, I won this really hard-fought uh, game where I was playing this really complicated control deck and I took all the time and I and I remember winning in the end and they were just really happy they watched the entire game and I'm sure they didn't understand anything but they, just, they saw me win a game which meant that I won money and it's always been kind of hard, kind of hard to to explain or show people what it means 
to play these tournaments. But something that people do understand is playing games and then getting money to do it. That's sort of something that anyone can, everyone can resonate with. So it was nice to sort of show them that moment as it happened in, in Rome in 2008. So I enjoyed that very much. Right. It was a kind of validation of sorts then. It was about, yeah, both from because it was this really long game that I had really had to make a lot of decisions. So it was not just, you know, he mulliganed to five and I just beat him and now I won $500. It was, he didn't, he did all the things that he'd wanted to do and I did all the things that I wanted to do. And in the end, I won. And do you see that it paid off that I thought about it so much? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, right. that kind of thing. I think that's a sign of a true competitor when you always dwell, dwell on what you could have done better as opposed to just being happy with oh, yeah I, I have these very very bad uh, it's not dreams it's just moments that come to me sometimes of the same play situations where I just keep like you know I see them and I know what I did wrong and you know there's nothing to do but it just they just kind of pop into my head and say don't forget that one time where you did that thing that just made you lose <laughs> and yeah so I'm, <laughs> they keep coming back to me I'm but at least you have them. the self-awareness to know I mean not all players know that I made a mistake there where I could have done better there, right? So, Yeah, I guess that's, I guess, a small consolation. It's a blessing and a curse is what I'm trying there to say. There we go, yep. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And uh, I know you, you just mentioned, and we talked about you playing Legacy a great deal and also Limited. Um, are, are these primarily the formats that you play now, or are you dabbling in all the formats? Uh, I play anything, but, I mean, I... I I play everything because I need to qualify for the Pro Tour. <laughs> uh, but but I most I mostly enjoy Legacy and then Limited and then Modern and then in the end Standard is my least favorite format. It's, I think ever since I started working full time, um, what I enjoy about the game is sort of the 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 non-meta game parts of the game, the ones that always stick with you. Um, and it, for Legacy and Modern, that's kind of it's not as as much depending on the decks or the metagame, but in standard, you keep having to choose a new deck, you have to learn it, and you have to learn the matchups, and it, it just takes too much time, so I always feel sort of inadequate playing standard tournaments. I, f- I feel like I need to get lucky to win, and I don't ever feel that in, in the other formats, so, and I kind of hate that feeling, so, and I guess it's just a priority that I have, I don't spend enough time playing standard, so I'm always unprepared, and thus feel this kind of feeling of, of not being good enough and not deserving to win, and I'm not used to that. I, I always feel I deserve to win. So, so when I when I play standard, I, I'm I'm not as happy playing Magic as I am doing the other things. Because you, in your own words, you feel like you have to get lucky to win because maybe you're yeah. not as up to date on some exactly. things. Yeah, I yeah. Other people have prepared more, have practiced more, deserved more, and right. know more. So it sounds like for you, legacy is more evergreen, and that's the part of the appeal, and more skill testing. Uh, I, yeah, I guess what I like about it is that I know so much about it uh, that I almost always get to be the wiser one of whoever's whoever I'm playing against. I always know more about what's happening than than my opponent usually, and I guess that feeling of control, even if you're just playing a, a mono white deck with with no draw on it or draw spells or anything, it's just you're you're already in control because you know most of the stuff that's going to happen in the game. Right. So that's very unique to Legacy, I guess. About Mono White, <laughs> yeah. how how did you start playing Mono White, Death and Taxes? I mean, I'm sure that someone with your background can play a lot of different 
legacy decks. I'm curious to know how you started playing that and kind of what year and the circumstances for that. Because what I've seen so far is that you you have been very dominant with Death and Taxes, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you had considered uh, played other decks before making the what appears to be a full-time switch to Death and Taxes. Yeah, it's definitely been a full-time switch. Uh, I think in the last four years I've played Miracle, Miracles once at a tournament. I really hated it, and then I, w- I switched back. But before that, I played um, the first tournaments I played. I just played whatever I could borrow. Um, I played a uh, blue, red, green counterbalance deck. It was kind of like uh, the Delver decks that are today, but back then it was counterbalance uh, and top uh, and Tarmogoyf. Um And then I switched over to my own creation, this blue, black. Uh, trinket, uh, blue white trinket mage deck that uh, pl- uh, killed people with pain slayer angel, and then it used trinket mage to search up channels of the void to avoid being uh, uh, to you know counter source plowshares. Um, and then someone showed me that, and I was always kind of, I didn't really know what was going on, and I didn't really like any decks because all the decks felt like they had these bad matchups, and and it was kind of. It was very uh, coin flippy the way that, that the tournaments worked out because it really depended on were you playing against a lot of combo decks or you're playing against a lot of fair decks or fast decks. Um, and then I sort of, uh, one of my friends showed me this deck um, and they had played it for a while. I just, I hadn't really paid attention to it. And then I guess I tried it once because I, I, I didn't have a deck and they borrowed it to me. And then I remember just there were so many decisions just during the first first game just uh all the way through like every turn there were decisions uh to make and and i guess i just i enjoyed that and i thought that there was ways to improve so many different ways and and uh, i i kind of wanted to try it again and uh, just kept on trying it was there a long was there a big learning curve for you as far as actually picking up and winning with the deck um i think Winning was uh, the legacy field back then was pretty soft in Denmark. So once you got to know your deck and you knew what people were doing, it was even if you ha- didn't have a good matchup, you could still win a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actual winning was not was it, that that was pretty uh, that happened pretty fast. But um, I think I just because we were playing so much legacy back, we were playing each week. We played this six round tournament. Um, so uh, and then we played on the weekends as well, just for fun. So I just got so much practice in so fast, uh, and I kept wanting to just improve the deck because I, I felt I, I remember that I felt that it was sort of like an underdog deck because it it was just playing white creatures. Uh, like how is that gonna how is that gonna work? Um, so it was kind of like in defiance that I wanted to to sort of prove that it was good, even if I didn't know it was good, because I kept doubting whether even if I won, I kept doubting. Is this really good? Can this win actual tournaments against real uh, professionals who've played their deck against uh, a lot too and, and know everything about the format? Because I, I was I've always been unsure of that. Uh, even I mean, even lately, I, I was unsure of whether it was actually like, is this a good choice for me oh, really? uh, to play this deck, to continue to play this deck? Because even if it has results, it's it just seems like there's always something more powerful to do. Um, but at least for me, after maybe one, after the first GP in, in Belgium there, before uh, Strasbourg, uh, at that point I knew that I learned so much about this deck that even if there's another deck that's better, it's not going to be better for me anyway. So I just, I've kind of 
shied away from any other legacy deck ever since that just because that I, I know that even if like if death and tax is not the best thing for me it'll still be the de- best deck of that tournament every time so just knowing the deck inside out helps you a lot yeah and also knowing everyone else's deck uh, like knowing every every deck how it plays against mono uh, against death and taxes is the key key part of the of, of playing the deck more than knowing I mean the cards themselves are pretty uh, self-explanatory so it's more about knowing how to approach every different of those 40 matchups or whatever that legacy sort of presents to you right and I have to say that's one of the things I enjoy most about watching you play and on the coverage is that you have no hesitation you know exactly what to do in every matchup and you know how to sideboard you you know what your opponent is doing so I think that's something that us as uh, aspiring death and taxes amateurs <laughs> enjoy watching because it's, yeah. it's tough it's a metagame deck so exactly yeah uh, so were there any specific preparations you had going into Strasbourg the one that you won or was it was it just playing playing yeah. stop and um, there actually was for the first, and I think may- I'm not sure if it was the only time, but I think the only time that I did this for any tournament, like so specifically, is that um, I was playing the deck and I was building, sort of figuring out exactly how I wanted my main deck, my sideboard, and I wanted for the first time ever, I I did this uh, sort of list of cards that I wanted in and out of every matchup before I had the deck list built. So I didn't just have 15 uh, cyborg cards, 60 main deck cards. And then I started looking at, okay, so for this matchup, I do this. I sort of did that before I made my 60 and 15 cards because I think that's the right way to do it. But it just takes so much time and so much knowledge about everything to understand exactly why you want this card in your main deck over the sideboard or if you even want it at all because it doesn't fill that role that you need for that many matchups. And we did, me and Michael did that for for Strasbourg just because I felt like things had gone so well the year before in in Belgium that uh, that I thought I just need a little extra edge and I'll 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 finally qualify for the Pro Tour again Uh, and so I so I just really spent a lot of it's 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 time spent that's very boring because you're not playing magic you're just looking at your list and looking at other people's list and figuring out how to how to put cards in and out and figuring out if if you want more or less of a I don't know graveyard hate or removal spells or something like that and you just kept putting cards back and forth and writing stuff down and, and finally settling on whatever list you wanted to play and I've never done that after or before that because it's just it's so time consuming and yeah, you need to know too many things uh, otherwise you're just basing it on assumptions that may be wrong so it's just it was just because I knew so much at that point that I that I sort of found found the the correct I, what I think is the 100% correct list for that for that particular time in Legacy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you, you do the preparation, you have been playing Death and Taxes for quite a while, and then tell me what, what's it like, I mean, going through day one and then day two, was there some point that you realized that you were on a on a roll in terms of just winning a lot or you, or felt like you could actually win the GP? Was there some was there some moment that made you made you think that, or I'm trying to figure out what's going through um, your mind? Yeah, at the time. The, there was actually a very funny uh, situation because back then uh, the Miracles deck was a bit different. Uh, it was very, it was still a lot of people played it, but it wasn't as good. I, I think I'm not really sure what what kind of cards changed, or maybe the lists just were different. But I remember back then it was a good matchup for Death and Texas, um, and 
we, me and Michael sort of talked about how can we get into the draw bracket? How, how can we make it so that we end up in a draw bracket so we get to <laughs> have a good chance of being paired against Miracles all tournament long? Because we decided that even though it's just really like uh, you struggle a lot during the matchup and it's very tiresome, but you usually come out on top if you just you just keep focusing because usually when you play uh, long games against uh, other slow decks, uh, the the deck the deck will usually um, the, the death and tax deck will usually win just because you 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 make more you make better decisions than your opponent if you know how to play it mm-hmm. and if you just do this for a long enough time then eventually you will you will get the advantage that you need to win mm-hmm. so that was our our theory and then somehow luckily I I, I managed to get a draw in in round four um, playing against a Delver player I don't know how we got a draw but he just kept playing draw spells and never did anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was content. I, f- I figured out in game three, okay, I'm actually content with not winning this game. I, I wasn't going to win that game, but it was just taking forever for anyone, any one of us to kill the other guy. So we just just sat there, and then I got the draw, and then I got to play against three Miracles decks on, on uh, day uh, on day uh, one, and uh, I won them all. And I felt, okay, this is pretty good. If the same thing continues tomorrow, then uh, I'm sure we'll be fine. I, I finished 7-1-1. And I guess I didn't really think about top eight. Um, I just thought that all right, every day, every round from now on, it just has to be miracles, and I'll be fine. Uh, and I just <laughs> I ended up not playing against a single miracles deck uh, on day two, but I somehow managed to squeak it out in the end. So day two was a little bit more challenging in the fact that you didn't get what you thought was the best matchup every round, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And tell me a little bit about day two I mean just going into the the top eight I mean you played against a variety of different decks as I recall and did you did you feel any kind of momentum going from round to round at all um I felt I kind of felt that I wasn't exhausted I guess that was sometimes you get exhausted playing day two of of the Grand Prix because it's it's been a long day one you haven't had enough sleep for day two and then you have to get up at super early in the morning and transport and getting breakfast and then starting round one um and it's sort of yeah after round three i'm usually pretty tired from from just all that stuff in the morning um but but i always get invigorated by playing uh playing this deck um so i i just never felt any kind of uh i I didn't feel tired at any point at all i just i just really enjoyed playing it and i really enjoyed all the decisions you have to make and all the game, all the different stuff that comes up in the games, and all the ways that you can sort of get these little advantages where you feel like you sort of won a small victory every time, and those feelings just really—I'm not sure if that's something chemical, but at least it gives you this spike of energy every time something like that happens, and it happens a lot with this deck, so mm-hmm. so it's sort of it's rejuvenating to play it. <laughs> yeah, I mean sometimes it's rejuvenating just to watch players like yourself play, and and I mean I've been playing Death and Taxes for a while, and I, I see oh man he made a good play, and then it's it's one of these things that's not super obvious, and when you yeah. see it or when you do it, it just feels really good, right? Yeah, exactly, and you get that feeling a lot with this deck. I guess maybe that's the thing I enjoy the most. Right, and so tell me about now that you're you're in the top eight of that tournament, and. I mean, of course, we all saw the footage of, of you going from round to round. But what's going on into your mind? That's what I want to know by talking to you. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I. I think Michael. Uh, I mean, because we're you know, obviously uh, following each other very closely and, and hoping mm-hmm. that each other win and and talking about it, meeting up every round and asking whether we win or lose. And I think he clinched uh, top eight a round before me. 
Um, so I just knew that if I, I won my last game round 16, uh, I got to go to uh, to the Pro Tour with Michael. And um, somehow I didn't really feel any pressure anyway. It was playing against uh, Shardless Agents, uh, the Buck deck. Um, and that was just, back then, it was just a super easy matchup for us. Uh, I don't know really how it works because they have a lot of blue cars and they have a lot of removal, but somehow it just... It just their cars don't line up well against ours, and there's just so many w- different ways where we can punish them for what their strategy is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember, okay, I didn't know he was playing that, but I, I just uh, I saw after I, I we played a couple of turns, game one, I was like, okay, I my draw is fine. There's no way I'm going to lose this game. And after sideboard, it gets even better. So I I was very calm the whole time, even th- even uh, though I knew that winning this would just mean one of our dreams coming true, going to the Pro Tour together. So I never really thought about it doing the game because it was just such an easy matchup. That was I was happy to get that in the end. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's good. And Michael is Michael Michael Bondi. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I I would love for you to tell me a little bit about Michael and what he's meant to you as a teammate and as a as a friend, I know it's a very general question, but uh, <laughs> when I spoke to you and also Julian Knob, you know, you guys had mentioned that the two of you are very close. Can you tell me a little bit about how you how you met with him, met him for the first time, and sort of how you guys sure. became magic buddies? <laughs> yeah, um, I the first time I met him, we, he just moved to Copenhagen, I think, and he was playing in some PTQ or something. And I was playing against him, and he was this like just like like he always is. He's this super happy guy, super exuberant, like going around with everyone and talking to people, even though he didn't know that many people, and just very happy and and outgoing. And and we were playing this PTQ, serious business, and uh, and he was playing this stupid deck that he I think he just made it himself, and it was pretty bad, but it sort of had a good matchup against my blue white control deck. Um, it played some weird. It was a red-white control deck, like that's never ever supposed to win against the blue-white control deck. But it just somehow had the cards that it needed, and he was just super happy all the time. And it was kind of frustrating. I remember just to to play against it and sort of see his stupid card <laughs> beat mine. Uh, so I think he beat me in the in the in the Swiss rounds. And then we played again, played uh, again in the top eight of the quarterfinals, and I thankfully beat him. Uh, so that was just the first time. I just thought, who is this noob who like, brings this stupid deck to this important tournament? Right, the stupid uh, deck that's actually beating me. And he's, he's, yeah, he's got exactly, something yeah, weird going yeah, on, yeah. but I don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, usual stupid magic thinking. Uh, and then um, I think uh, we had some mutual friends. One of our mutual friends uh, was living with him for a while. Um, and I met him at... Then we hung out at, at uh, their place. And uh, I just... We did that some more, and then we just gradually started talking, and then um, it just happened sort of really, really gradually that we became friends because it wasn't really a fast process of of, uh, of like, all right, you're super cool, and I'm pretty nice too, so let's be friends. It was just uh, it, it took maybe it took a year or something before we started. Then we started. We went to the first uh, Grand Prix together, mm-hmm. um, and then. Uh, we were like six or seven guys back then who who traveled to this Grand Prix and then started like making a group on Facebook where we kept going to tournaments together. And then the the group started, you know, people got other priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in the end, it was just me and Michael left. And we just, yeah, we just kept traveling. And that just really, really, uh, we just had a lot of fun. And we just, everything went great. And we 
got along really great and we really were both so interested in winning at Magic. Like we had the exact same priorities and so it it, it was just super simple simple to be friends. So I guess it just came in time. Yeah, it sounds like you guys were very competitive and you were simpatico in in some aspects. What, was there any particular? Did you have any particularly heated moments with Michael? At a, because all, friends all have heated moments, right? So I'm wondering. Yeah, if was... I mean, we have a lot of heated moments in mag- like talking about magic. Uh, we are very different. We, we view the game very differently, uh, and the things that matter in the games uh, and in the different formats and. Uh, Michael's always been the one who's played the most. Like, he just plays so much Magic, uh, both on Magic Online, and he just plays all the tournaments. He just really, really loves playing Magic, and I, I love it too. But I just, I'm not always that keen on going to tournaments anymore. I, uh, I only want to go to the, the really important ones, the ones that somehow qualifies you for the Pro Tour. Um, and so, so he's always just played so much, and he's always taken that aspect with him whenever, whenever we were discussing something like his. Uh, knowledge of just rep- repeating game states and everything all over and knowing all the deck lists and stuff. And I've always taken sort of like my experience because I've been playing for maybe five more years than he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've never really been able to to agree on anything where I felt like I've been using logic and he's been using something else, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, since we haven't really agreed on anything. So we we usually have very heated moments about this because none of us want to agree to disagree or back down because... I'm not even sure we're trying to help each other. We're just trying to prove that we're right. <laughs> just win the argument, the maybe, end. or yeah, something I, like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but I don't. Other than that, I don't think we've ever really been mad at each other for over anything. Yeah, and and it, it, the way you described it is good for teammates because like you don't want teammates that are have think and behave exactly the same way as you. Otherwise, yeah, you exactly. It's really refreshing to hear what he has to say. I think usually it's dumber than what I think, but. It, at least it's nice to hear <laughs> a different <laughs> opinion, you know. I'll usually consider it after I've said that it was dumb. I'll consider it and maybe sometimes I'll I'll do it even though I don't I want to tell him. Right. And and you guys still collaborate a lot, right? Because even in the uh, recent GP... Yeah, we talk about every tournament we play, we talk about what to play. Except for Legacy where we always know what to play. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that was just kind of a segue because you had mentioned him quite a bit and I... Yeah, he's definitely been a uh, a huge influence on my continued participation uh, in Magic. And he's also, because he lives in Aarhus, which is uh, three hours away from Copenhagen. Um, so we don't really see each other like uh, on a daily basis or anything. So we usually just see each other for Magic tournaments. Uh, either he comes to Copenhagen for a big tournament here, or I go to, very rarely I go to his place for tournaments there or we travel abroad for tournaments so that's also why i keep we one of the reasons why we keep doing it is so we get to hang out with each other right right i like to jump ahead a little bit to the recent grand prix that you finished i believe third place is that right uh third or fourth I, we can do third <laughs> yeah we'll go with third um <laughs> basically you top aided the the grand prix and yeah. again, it was kind of a master class for me watching you play the rounds and seeing the the tight play that was going on. Um, yeah, I guess it's exciting for you just to be able to get back on the Pro Tour, right? Yeah, it's uh, really exciting. Um, it's It's been a while that I've I feel like I've I've really wanted to go on the pro tour, but I it's not that I feel like I've deserved it or anything because I don't usually prepare that much for tournaments. I I, I just go to them and hope that I that my experience and and uh, 
and my ability is just there enough because I don't really get to test that much anymore because of other commitments. So, but I still really, really want to play on the Pro Tour, and and I know always know that the Legacy tournaments, no matter how uh, the Legacy Grand Prix, no matter where they are, if they're some remote area where it's hard to get to or anything, I'll I'll never skip those because those are the ones that I'm I, I'm I have the best chance of of qualifying. Yeah. So does that mean that I will also see you in the upcoming one in Japan? I will not go to Japan. No, I I guess that now that I've qualified for the Pro Tour, I've I've suddenly rescheduled my uh, Japan visit to another time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Pragmatic. That's that's good. You know what your goals are. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess I'm just trying to understand because you mentioned that just briefly. What role does Magic play for you now at this point in your life? Because I imagine that you're. You said you were a lawyer. I think when we were talking before we started recording, and and uh, you've got probably other things going on in your life now, and you're you're getting older as we all are. And uh, <laughs> what what does magic mean for you now, like in terms of how it plays into your life? Uh, I think that this what it has always meant ultimately is sort of a way to. Um, sort of realize my potential or show off my potential or like this is the thing that I that I'm good at uh this is what gives me confidence and gives me sort of um like I like what I what I what I'm able to do with magic uh, I like how good I am at it and I and I'm better at better at magic than I am good at anything else uh so it's sort of a big part of my identity and and how I sort of see myself is that I'm I'm actually really really good at something. Um, so I use it a lot just to define myself and to to sort of prove myself, I guess, to my mostly just to myself because nobody else knows what's going on with this. So mm-hmm. so just mostly to myself to prove that I'm I'm actually capable of of doing something uh, that I'm really good at. So, so that's it's become part of your identity. It's yeah, it's it's a huge part of my identity. Also, but I think magic. For most people, it just it sort of absorbs you, even though you don't even realize it. the 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 way you think and the way you the the people you hang out with and the stuff that you prioritize in life, like like as we talked about earlier, it's financially make it makes no sense at all to play magic tournaments. Um, and and even like let's say we travel to somewhere, usually we just play magic when we go there. It's not like we take off three other days and we go see stuff and and visit the city. And uh, it's just we go there and, and we play magic cards, uh, and that's what we love to do. So it's so it's sort of weird <laughs> that we all love it so much. <laughs> like, uh, but but it just sort of yeah, it's just become it's sort of the thing that my life circles around, I guess. And everything else is just it's sort of a stuff that you have to do because that's how you know you have to you have to do something with your life you have to have a career and you have to sort of make something of yourself but magic is the thing that that sort of drives me i guess right right so do you see yourself playing magic for a long time to come um i i used to uh to see myself that way because i didn't think i i could uh, sort of um go away from it uh, I, I don't think I would enjoy that but I've recently I've found that I I will probably be, have the ability to, to just to just leave it at one point and I think I will have to and I think I won't mind it uh, I will I I will probably only I don't think I'll get better from this point I'll just be as I am now uh, since I don't have 
I don't want to or have or have the time to devote to to, to just you know keep practicing and, and keep getting better. So I'm just kind of plateauing at this point, and I think I'm completely fine with that. But that also means that at one point I won't be so unhappy with not playing anymore. I just want to explore that a little bit. So you feel like you're plateauing because of your investment in the game, or is it something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's just. Like it's sort of I won't say it's running away from me, but the the constant new the new sets uh, the new limited formats the new um, standard formats the, which are the two things that matter the most to to any professional player. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the time to in, to invest myself in those. Uh, like so, maybe for a Grand Prix in a limited format, I'll play a couple of seals and a couple of drafts and that won't be nearly enough. It'll just be to know some of the cards mm-hmm. and to sort of get a feel for them. But it, I won't ever have the preparation that I would have preferred if I had still been a student or or before that so where I had more time to devote to it and more like uh, uh, a bigger player base to, to, to talk to and play with in, in real life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just... With practice, when the practice goes down, the the chances of winning goes down as well. It's thankfully pretty. Uh, that's how it works in Magic, uh, usually. So, yeah. I think that's a great thing about it. But it also means that I'm, I'm I won't be like too sad to leave it at one point. I think. I see. Is is it your career or just life things now that take up more of your time? Um, I think it's. It's not that I want it to be like that, but I I feel like. Uh, the the world like the my my world in at work and and with friends outside of magic uh, it's just it's just not something that matters uh, it matters to me um, but I need to sort of also uh, shape myself for the world that doesn't care about magic cards uh, if I want other things in life than being good at magic cards and maybe I, I guess maybe I haven't now that I'm talking about it, I haven't really decided if that's how I want it to work out, but so that's maybe also why I keep sort of investing myself in in travel and tournaments mm-hmm. uh, and going on the pro tour, even if maybe I've I've somehow already decided I don't want to. But yeah, I guess I'm I'm still here, and I haven't decided totally if I want to leave or not. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me, just from our talk, that you're super passionate about the game, so it would be. Of course, I can't. I can't be you. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I'm looking at it from my perspective. But to me, it seems like it would be, it would be a shame to walk away from a passion of yours that you've been. You've yeah, been but I think that mostly my passion is about winning, and magic is just a tool that I that I. Ah yes. Uh, I mean, I guess that it's not that I care about winning in anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, I guess magic is my passion. But I just, I really feel like it's such a great game that I want to prove myself at. Mm-hmm. Um. But a lot of the time when I play Magic, it's not. I don't think that all, <laughs> there are also many things about Magic that are not very particularly uh, enjoyable. Like from in, within the game, like a lot of cards are really stupid and and sh- <laughs> I don't enjoy playing with, or yeah. like a lot of decks just don't do stuff that I think sh- Magic should be about. And yeah. and so so there's a lot of times where you're in, especially in format. I that's what I love about legacies. You can always come back to this format where everything is the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, in other formats, there's tons of things wrong that 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 I don't have any particular passion about. But I I still want to win so badly that that I'll I'll uh, <laughs> I'll live with the fact that <laughs> that they are there and then just you know sort of try to work my way around them. But yeah, ultimately I think that my greatest passion is this 
just winning at the game, like being better than my opponent and mm-hmm. being better, being better than the world and at at playing this game and winning and proving it by winning because it's mm-hmm. you know it's in the end it's a very results oriented game even if we're not we're taught not to be it's right. kind of how it is. Do you feel that you've quote unquote proven yourself as a magic professional or magic competitive player? Um. I yeah I guess I think I I feel I have because I feel like I've played well enough to show enough people mm-hmm. uh, that I know how to play even if I've never won anything well, I guess I, I have won something that are significant but I, I what I what what you're supposed to do is win or at least top eight the pro tour because that's the toughest competition and that's where the most money is and that's I feel like that's the the true validation of a player but but. I see a lot of people. You like when you see people playing. Uh, you you know after a couple of rounds or like a couple of games whether they know what's up or not in mm-hmm. in Magic. And and I feel that even though I haven't I haven't taught me the pro tour, I've at least shown people that I know what's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least I feel I have. <laughs> so maybe getting that respect is a is if I may say use that term like that's 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 something you've already proven right. Having getting that that acknowledgement I guess from the community. Uh, yeah, but I haven't. I don't feel like I have any, uh, <laughs> let's say, outspoken respect. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just have. Uh, I I just feel like I've done what I was supposed to do to show people how good I am. I've had the chance. the The game has given me, and the coverage has given me the chance to pr- to show that to anyone who would care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like at least when I got my moment to prove it, I did prove it, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm happy about that. I'm. I'm it's fortunate that it turned out that way, and I didn't just mulligan into five old games and, and lost them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, I'm I'm happy about that, but I still want to win the Pro Tour. Right, right. The analogy I'll you just made me think of an analogy that I want to use, which is in sports. Right. I'm not super familiar with football or soccer, as they call it in America, but in games like basketball, there are often players in history that have been, quite frankly, great. But they may not have won a championship or a title. I mean, if you're Carl Malone and you are playing the same era when Michael Jordan was dominant, you're not you didn't win the championship, but I would still put him down as maybe one of the top fifty greatest players. So mm-hmm. um I, I what I'm trying to say is that I think greatness can sometimes be in the mind or it doesn't you don't have to validate it through saying I won X tournaments. I, I like just yep. just being known as someone who's a class act and is a competitor and is good at the game. Sometimes that, like the real the real fans know, uh, as as much as fans can be in Magic. Like the real Magic observational players or fans understand what's up, right? So, uh, yeah. I, although I will say that with that analogy, um, I think titles in in sports also comes down to whether you know players are clutch or whatever you want to call it you know like do they show up in the big games yeah whereas in magic you usually kind of you know you don't have to have that physical element so you usually show up in the big games it's very tough for a magic player not to show up in the big game because all he has to do is think he doesn't have to you know do stuff he doesn't have to excel at at doing things he just has to uh think a lot uh so i think for magic players they don't have that element of you know proving themselves in the big games because usually they will they will do what they always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that in that sense, I think that magic uh, in sports winning championships shows a skill that 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 I don't think translates as easily to magic because sports players have to sort of both do the strategically correct thing but also actually perform it. 
mm-hmm. and that can be difficult when you're you know playing a championship game and so i think that the people who know how to do that maybe michael jordan was better than carl malone at that or maybe carl malone just didn't have enough chances of doing it yeah. but uh, in that sense, I think that Michael Jordan definitely had a, a skill in improving himself in the big games that I don't think Magic players necessarily have to have because it'll usually be easy enough to prove one without having to be clutch. Yeah, it's a good point because to use to borrow a Magic term, it's some some athletes just have like sheer force of will. Like they just they just have that killer mentality where they have exactly a, you know, they're, yeah. they're they're stronger than you mentally and physically, so they can beat you. Yeah. Right. And that's also very true of soccer where you see that all the time with, with players who like the ones that are the true stars of, of the game are the ones that show up in the big games. Um and you need that element too, and I just I think that in Magic you can be consistent the entire time without having to have that special skill uh that that, that is required to win championships, I guess. So would you say then that most magic players at the pro tour level they're not they don't feel the pressure or the nerves and letting I think they, they do feel the pressure but but uh, you know, a lot of time magic is not about that one specific correct play a lot of time decks mm. or or draws or whatever will will either bail you out or not save you even though you did the completely correct and genius thing mm-hmm. usually magic is is not a game of these small things that go right or wrong mm-hmm. uh this, these small decisions uh a lot. Most games are not decided by that. Very few are. So it needs to be those few games where you saw that particular line. That one had to be one of those championship games where you showed everyone that you saw that particular line in that game. Mm-hmm. So it just it re- very rarely comes up that that you get those slight margin of errors that that I I think we see in, in other sports finals uh, if you want to call Magic a sport. But yeah. so in that in that sense, I just think that that Magic players has the, it's it's an easier job. <laughs> to to win to win finals of magic tournaments and I even though people feel a lot of pressure I don't feel that they're you know throwing their cards around like just uh, <laughs> toss like tossing uh, whatever they just like playing whatever cards they just saw in their deck uh, they, I think that people still even though they're nervous they will usually make at least a somewhat correct decision right right um, while we're on the topic of that I mean high level play in, in magic are there particular magic players uh, specific magic players that you look up to as a good example of uh, being the best at what they do? Um, yeah, I think that um, I really enjoy watching uh, Ben Stark and Martin Yusa play limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems they always just kind of know what's going on. Both with their own decks and with the format, and with the other de- the other guy's deck. Um, so I think those two I always try to watch whenever they're featured. Um, and for constructed, I I try to watch uh, Shota Yasuoka um, play uh, as much as possible. And then also I think Owen Turtenwall is is really great at just playing these constructed deck to the perfection. So I, I those are the two for each category that I would say. Have you ever played against them? Uh, I do not think I've... Yeah, I've played against uh, Martin Jusa a couple of times. Um, and yeah, he, he's really good. <laughs> uh, so that was very, very fun. Uh, and I was going to play against Ben Stark in the last round of the Pro Tour that me and Michael went to together. And I was like super excited that I got to play against him. And then he came up to the table and he was like, 
yeah, we should just draw. It makes more sense. And I'm like, okay, sure, let's draw. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of wanted to play, but whatever. Right. It, it was it financially it made sense, and sometimes you have to make the financial sound decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also played with Yuza once in uh, I think at a Legacy GP in 2011, and the one thing I remember most about him was just his sense of humor. Because um, yeah, he's really uh, relaxed about everything, but he just plays so crisply, even though. Yeah, he's he's just an enjoyable guy to be around too. And it's when you just play against people who are generally just good at magic, you realize that they're on a whole different level from you. Because I remember exactly. we were playing in Legacy, and he was re- he was picking up my cards and reading them like Chilk, what does it do, and all these kind of things. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, this guy doesn't know Legacy very well. But guess what? He still crushed me because like yeah. he just understands the game at a, at a deep yeah, level, yeah. right? So yeah, um, I I agree. You should, one should never uh, think the guy the guys that read. Are the ones you should be scared of because they're the guys who went to the tournament without knowing the cards. So they're the ones that like, they're better than everyone else. They just need to read the cards. Exactly. So I think re- people who read are the ones you should be scared of. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's the people who think they know too much about magic, maybe, or um, have this pretentious air that you don't have to be scared of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna just quickly um, ask you. A, this is kind of a little bit of a different transition, but. I want to go through kind of a speed round of just questions, and um, there are things that that may be a little bit out of context, but I really wanted to get your thoughts on each one. So we're going to go sure. through them real quick. Are there specific lessons you've learned about magic that you've applied to other parts of your life? Uh, yeah, the the whole concept of variance and how the only thing that matters is what you can affect, and everything that you can't. Uh, effect in any way the, it, the outcomes doesn't matter it's just you just have to take it in stride because that's how life works and I think that being presented for so much variance in magic it helps you deal with all the variance of life uh, and I think I really notice it when people aren't doing too well at, at dealing with variance in life it's, it just I feel like it's almost kind of an immaturity uh, element when people aren't really equipped to to understand that so many things in life are, are about r- random stuff happening and, and you can't complain about stuff that you had no control over. So just focus on the stuff that you do have control over and try to make that as as, as good as possible. And that's kind of how I want to, to approach my own life. Right. And how did you, when did you learn that lesson about variance? Was it, it was through playing magic or did you have some sense of that? Uh, uh, I don't really know how exactly it came about. I think it was during... Um, after a couple of pro tours, uh, my friend back then, Rasmus, he started playing poker, um, and I sort of got somewhat immersed in a poker culture, uh, which was really big back then in Denmark. Um, and so we just talked a lot about stuff and and sort of how to deal with this stuff because it's you know in poker it's like some people go through as much variance as other people go through in their entire life. They just go through that at one night at the poker table because you know it's so much money and. And it's so much up and down. So, so you really, you really train yourself for dealing with the, with the randomness of life by by playing poker and by playing magic. And I think it's just it's just something that came came along some at some point when you start to focus on magic as think about what you can what you can uh, change and what you can do differently, and don't care about the top decks and the mulligans and the stuff that you can't do anything about. You just focus on what you can learn from. And I think that's sort of how it, it got to be a, a life lesson too. Right. Yeah, that's very important. So next question, do you have a mentor figure or mentor figures who have helped you improve your game and outlook when it comes to magic? 
Um, I'm, I think the most important person, at least for me in Magic, is, is, is Michael. Um, because he's the one who's like kept me engaged in the game uh, and kept it joy in like kept me enjoying it, kept me going to tournaments. Um, but other than that, I've always been probably stubborn to the point of like my to my own detriment about me knowing better than anyone else. Uh, so I think that the people that I would listen to over my own opinion would probably be the four people I mentioned before. Uh, for constructed and limited, but otherwise, I would always trust my own opinion over anyone else. Right. Okay. And maybe Martin Mueller now that he's turned out to be good, the other guy from Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I won't tell him that, and nobody okay. else should. Okay, we won't tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next question: What are some ways that you think magic has enriched your life? Because it's been such a big part of your life. Maybe it's hard to think of it in terms of like, oh, what happened if I didn't have magic and now that I have magic, it's <laughs> beneficial. But if you could go back a little bit and think about it, how has it benefited you? I mean, in terms of your your life. Um, I think that um, like just from more of a like uh, an... Um, how should I say this? I think that it's it's given me mostly what it's given me is just that I've just really enjoyed the time that I've spent so far playing Magic. Like all the time that I've had from my learned Magic until this point, I've just really enjoyed most of it, and most of it is because of Magic. Like it's always been this driving factor in my life that whenever I had to do some stupid assignment at at school or at work, it was there's always this thing to look forward to. And to enjoy and and to, I I just felt like I really spent my time. I've I've probably wasted most of it playing Magic, but I've spent it so well because I've enjoyed it so much. So I think I'm just what it's done mostly is just given me something to do with my free time that I've really enjoyed, rather than do something that I've only enjoyed a little. I guess which is what maybe most people do. I don't know. Um, so that's the most important thing is just that it's that's what it's given me. And then of course it's given me this. It's given me amazing friends, and then it's given me uh, the opportunity to go anywhere in the world and make friends instantly by just going to some store and playing magic cards. Right, and that's an amazing experience. Enjoy that part. Yeah. Yeah. What is something that you've learned from playing this game that you might go back and tell yourself if you could go back five years? Uh, If I go back five years, I would tell myself to play around him top-decking a pump spell for that infect deck I played against in round 16 of <laughs> Washington. That would be the most important thing I could tell myself. Um, other than that, I would say switch to Death and Taxes earlier if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, not not much else, I guess. It, I think I've done mostly what I wanted to do with Magic at least uh, the way I did it. That's good. No regrets. Excellent. <laughs> Except for that one. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any personal or magic-related goals in the next three to five years? Um, we can go through them maybe one by one. Maybe just maybe maybe I don't want to... It doesn't have to be like either or, but just do you have any goals in the next three to five years? I own, My last goal is to top eight a Pro Tour. Okay. I, I used to say that I wanted to top eight a Grand Prix before I could retire, and then when that happened, I felt I didn't feel like retiring. Uh, it's not. I don't feel like you're trying after topping a pro tour, but it's a thing that I feel like I need to do before. I guess I I need to win one before I feel like I've accomplished what I. Then I can look back and say I was a successful magic player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
but uh, but topping a photo, I'll I'll settle for that if I if I can't win one. Okay. And I maybe only have three to five years left, so it's so that probably works out. Do you have any goals outside of Magic that you feel comfortable sharing in the next three to five years? I, funnily enough, don't have any goals outside of Magic. I guess, you know, f- family and being happy and stuff like that, but I don't have any concrete goals other than that. It's just, it's it's mostly been about, been about Magic, and I guess maybe <laughs> that's been to my detriment that I haven't figured out my actual goals in life. Right. And I think that's fair. And I appreciate your honesty, because I think a lot of people, even myself included, don't know what we're going to need to do five years from now. And I think that's fair. Yeah. But I know that. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully I'll figure it out. Or maybe you don't have to figure it out. It just sort of, it comes as it by itself. But yeah, yeah, mostly it's about magic still. That's where I at least have formulated goals. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm going to wrap up with one final question. Right. If you could tell a person entering competitive magic or even gaming just for the first time what advice would you give him or her um i would tell him or her uh to forget about the randomness that is in magic or in anything else that exists that only focus about the things that they can change and every time something happens uh, that they didn't appreciate, uh, just go back and think about whether there's something you could have done to change it. And if there was nothing you could do to change it, or at least you don't think there was, uh, then you can be happy in the fact that you did exactly as you should. And every time that you didn't do as you should, you should remember that feeling and, and do better next time. So always focus on what you can change and don't care about the rest of it because it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. I guess that's the whole variance uh, point yeah. I was making before. Yeah, excellent advice to live by. I think I, whether it is just about magic or about life, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's the way to live life. And I try to tell people even outside the magic world that's that's how they should approach it yeah. to various degrees of success. That's awesome. So life mirroring magic and magic mirroring life. Um, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. So, so Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. Uh, if some of our listeners want to reach out to you somehow or um, find out more about you or contact you, what's, uh, what's a good, good way for them to do that? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. I, my nickname, uh, or whatever it's called, is The Real Enivals. And that's so there's no EN on my last name, it's just The Real Enivals. Uh, and that's probably the best way to to reach me. I'm not very sort of uh, public about anything, <laughs> mm-hmm. so so. Uh, but that's probably the the best and probably also the only way to to reach me. Also, you know, at Grand Prix or tournaments, feel free to come up and talk to me. I'm usually very outgoing. So, excellent, excellent. Um, so, Thomas, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you continued success in all your future thank magic you. endeavors. And uh, I hope to much. talk to you again soon. Yeah, and I hope you uh, keep improving with your Death and Taxes deck. I hope so, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take care. All right, take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Humans of Magic. I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. 
please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.